Prayer is the grandest power in the universe. Biblically, absolutely that is true. Here's the problem then. Why are so many of our prayer lives so weak and honestly pathetic? Why? If prayer is the grandest power in the universe, then why are you and me then so often so futile in our prayer lives? That's what we got to figure out. Welcome back, Live in the Light listeners. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us. It's a big deal. We know that, and we want to say thank you for being here and for joining us for a new series that we are super excited about. Are you ready? We are looking at prayer. Pastor Robbie, our teacher, is here with me. And Robbie, what can we expect in the next week or so? Yeah, I love how you said that too. We are looking at, drum roll, silence. There it is. Prayer. And isn't it interesting that when you said that, Craig, prayer. I don't know if, if everyone would be like, yay, right? Because if we're honest in the reality of Christ followers, prayer is something we would acknowledge and nod our heads to. But in reality, our lives don't often kind of cooperate or indicate what we say we believe that we actually live. But here's what we're going to learn. This is one of the first quotes in today's message too. Prayer, theologically speaking, is the grandest power in the universe. Prayer is the greatest privilege. Prayer is the pathway to seeing the power of God unleashed in our lives, his security and blessing and perspective and privilege. Prayer is everything. And some of you right now are like, okay, well, why is that? That's the point of the series. So you're in the right place. We're going to find out that if we don't pray, honestly, and this is a hard truth, Greg, but if we don't pray, we can't really be alive in Jesus Christ because prayer is like oxygen without it we die. So we're jumping into a series called The House of Prayer, which means so much to us here at Live in the Light. And we're praying by the end will mean so much to you. Loved ones, listeners, don't miss an episode. Every day, tune in. Even even Pastor Craig going to be in, in this series too in the last message. We're so excited about that. So anyways, enough said. We've got to get to this series on prayer. Craig, take us in. All right. Mark 11 finds those words, house of prayer, where we're picking up our series title from. And let's turn things over to Pastor Robbie now with today's message. Let's get our Bibles open to Mark chapter 11 and pray you find a Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, the seat in front of you does. And that's uh, yours to use. We're so glad if you would. Mark chapter 11. And with that, welcome to the house of prayer. But for the next four weeks, Lord willing, we're taking a good look at this house. When I say this house, I mean this church, but I also mean the house that is made up of the believers in Jesus Christ. So this house is your heart, your heart and my heart, because that's the reality. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, as we'll soon hear, and that means we make up the house of God. So we're going to take a look at this house. You can view it as a home inspection where the Holy Spirit is the home inspector. And he's going to be going row by row, aisle by aisle, and seat by seat starting today. Again, don't say I didn't warn you, all right? That's what he's doing, because he loves us. So Holy Spirit's coming into your house, your marriage, your family, your church leadership, your pastor. He's coming into all our hearts right now, and he's going to go look around. He's going to inspect the home, and he's looking for one main thing. Is this house a house of prayer? 
The number one thing the Holy Spirit wants to find in our hearts, and our houses, our temples, is are we houses of prayer? And again, that is so true because the church is the house of God, the building of God, the bride of Christ, the family of God. We as individual temples of the Holy Spirit make up his church's house. We are called to be a house of prayer. So we're going to see the next four weeks, and we're going to be seeking to know what it means biblically to be a house of prayer. And um, even as I start introducing this prayer series, some of us might be sitting there and saying, four weeks on prayer, really? Like, wh- why? Like, why prayer? Now that question, that very question, if it's being asked, reveals the absolute need. If there's anyone here right now and you're wondering, well, what's the big deal about prayer? That is the absolute essential need of the series right now. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. You're going to hear a lot of Spurgeon, by the way, throughout this series, uh, simply because when it comes to preachers and fruitful men ever, like ever, it's like Jesus, Paul, like Jesus doesn't kind of go by himself. I, I totally understand that, okay? Like, but Paul and like George Whitfield and Spurgeon, like they're all, they're all kind of, they're like, like, like more fruitful men ever. And I can't get over how much men like Spurgeon believed and preached and lived prayer. Like some of the most gifted men ever. And yet they were so resolved to have churches built and lives built on prayer. Spurgeon said this, prayer is the grandest power in the universe. Hmm. Do you believe that to be true? Before you answer, before you answer, right? Prayer is the grandest power in the universe. Biblically, absolutely, that is true. Here's the problem then. Why are so many of our prayer lives so weak and honestly pathetic? Why? If prayer is the grandest power in the universe, then why are you and me then so often so futile in our prayer lives? That's what we got to figure out. I went around long enough and asked you the question about that, is prayer and its power? Many, many, many of you, not all, but many of you would totally say that is so true. Then we have to, but then why the discrepancy between how we live and what we say we believe? That's what the Holy Spirit's coming to inspect right now upon our lives. Because think about it, Scripture tells us that prayer causes us to behold the glory of God, it unleashes the power of God, and it invites the strength of God. It is prayer that calls upon the Spirit of God, that trusts the sovereignty of God. Listen, it's prayer that moves the will of God. Prayer is our lifeline to God, our conversation with God, and our intimacy in God. Is there anything more precious in the life of a Christ follower than prayer, prayer to our holy God? Now, some pastoral transparency right now, okay? I'm excited for this series. And one of the reasons I'm fired up about this series is because here it is, I need it. I'm first in line right now. So I'm gonna be preaching a message that is serious and in some ways very challenging and convicting. I'm trying to capture the heart of Christ himself in the passage today. It's what I'm often trying to do. Take the, take the, the tone and the seriousness or what's happening in the past and then bring it to us so we feel it as well. Because I've had to sit in this all week and I'm feeling it myself. But I'm, I, 
I'm, I'm first in line for conviction right now. I've had to go through this for days now and study in prayer. God is revealing sin in my life. I, I, I want this. I need this. I know when I study this and I preach it and I have to live it, then I'm transformed by prayer. And I'm excited about that. It's happening already. I can feel a little trickle of living water kind of renewing my mind and filling my soul. But I'm praying the trickle of water turns into a life-giving river. And I'm praying the river goes right through the center of this place, man. A river of renewal, a river of repentance, a river of revival, a river of passion, a river of love for God, a river of, of, of a group of people that becoming a house of prayer in the need for the Lord Jesus Christ because that's just where we need to be. Yes, Lord Jesus, make this house, make our hearts houses of prayer. It's a serious thing, man. It's a serious thing. So many different situations right now and I just like, just trying to love you as much as I possibly can by telling you the truth and, oh God, would you work in our hearts? So here's what I'm gonna do. How do you, how do you say we said so far and, and not pray? So we gotta pray right now, obviously, okay? But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for you. I want you to pray for the person beside you right now. I don't want you to pray for the person you wish that were here right now. I want you to pray for you. Here's what I want you to pray. Say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Like with all sincerity, Holy Spirit, would you teach me? Holy Spirit, would you change me? With this month of October, with this month, be Lord willing, the greatest month of transformation I've ever had in the area of prayer, maybe ever at all. Holy Spirit, would you do that? Like if, if, if we all pray that prayer right now, humble ourselves before the Lord. I'm gonna pray for me, and as I do that, I pray you will agree. You pray for you. Hey, hey, church, church, I'm not here to go through the motions, man. I'm not here to sing a couple of songs, open a Bible a little bit, say a couple of prayers, and then go home and eat lunch, okay? Thanksgiving dinner, yum, let's do it. I'm not here for that. Like, I, I didn't sign up to sit here and just kind of, we just kind of make each other feel good and then see how life goes. I'm here by the call of God to see lives change for the glory of God. I'm here not to waste my time and because like life's too short to do that too. If we're gonna do this, let's see some lives change, okay? And that's a great spot for an amen. All right, so here we are. Here we are as a church, and we're praying right now. Let's do it, let's do it. Father in heaven, I just mean what I've said, and I pray all of us do right now. Holy Spirit, where your life is, you put your life before the Lord right now. Humble yourself before him. Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, change me. Holy Spirit, transform me. Holy Spirit of God, I pray today you will encourage me. Make me a house of prayer. Make this church a house of prayer. I can't do it. I can't do it, Lord. You must. Use this time now. Grip us in our hearts, Lord. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, I know how many of us struggle in prayer. I know. I know because I know myself. But I pray you will bring revival. I pray that river of life will flow right down through this place and many, many will drink from its stream and never be the same again. We pray this in faith, Lord, believing this from you. This is your will, 100%. So your will be done in Jesus' name. You agree, you can say amen. And those amens, remember those amens, oh, by the way, we're doing right now, mega spiritual warfare. You're gonna see in our text today, okay? Again, again, don't allow yourself to fall asleep. Don't sit there and spiritually yawn through this. Whenever you're gonna go after prayer, man, it's a battle. So the battle's on. Here we go. 
Why? Satan is terrified of a marriage that prays, a man that prays, a woman that prays, a child that prays, a pastor that prays, an elder that prays, a church that prays. He's terrified for the reason that we just saw in the video. Right now, right here, y'all, this is spiritual warfare. Here we go. Here we go. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be opposed. Just see it for what it is. This is not a game. We are not playing a game. This is, this is a serious, and you're going to see how Jesus, how serious he takes this house of prayer stuff as well. Mark 11, verse 15. Check it out. Mark 11, verse 15. Mark eleven fifteen. 15. And they came, the disciples came to Jerusalem, and he, Jesus, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. Look at this. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Wow. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Who can do that? Jesus. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? Here we go. My house shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer for all nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. Notice the response. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching and when evening came, they went out of the city. Our sermon title is this, House of Prayer? It's a question. House of Prayer with a question mark. House of Prayer? Are we a house of prayer? Am I a house of prayer? Are you a house of prayer? Is your marriage a house of prayer? Is the leadership in this church a house of prayer? We're going to answer that question today. We're going we're to ask and answer that question, are we a house of prayer? Notice our context here. Jesus and his disciples come to Jerusalem. In verse 15, it says, and he, Jesus, entered the temple. Let's just stop right there. I love when scripture does this. I love how enlightening, how, how glorious. I love how powerful it is. Some of you are like, what are you talking about, man? I don't understand. Jesus enters the temple, ready? When you have your theology, the more you grow in God's word, the more you can see greater depths of the Holy Spirit's teaching you. When Jesus enters the temple, he is the temple. Jesus is the Lord of the temple. Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is God. Jesus is the word of God tabernacled among us. Jesus is the very presence of God in perfection. When he walks into the temple, he is the temple. No wonder in a few verses, Jesus says, my house. Because it literally is his house. He quotes a verse that is speaking of something that he entirely owns. My house shall be called a house of prayer. He owns the temple. He is the temple because he is God himself. And the Lord of the temple cares about his house. He loves his house. He is a few days away from dying for his house, his temple, his church. That's one of the things I want us to understand too. As we go through this text, right, we're applying it from the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament and the theology of Scripture as a whole. And some of you are like, well, what do you mean by that? Let me show you right here on the screen, okay? When you take a biblical theology of the temple or the presence of God, what we're doing is, I love when this happens, and the more you can get this, the more you'll be encouraged by it. You draw a thread from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is one book. This is one of the ways you can, there's many threads you can draw. The kingdom or the temple or the presence of God 
is one of the threads that you can take through God's word. So notice, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are enjoying the, the, the perfection or fellowship and, and harmony with God. There's no shame, there's no sin, the relationship is so sweet. But when sin enters in, in the Garden of Eden, it's called the fall, God's presence is interrupted. I remember teaching um, my girls from a children's Bible story and they had this a vivid picture of when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden and there was the picture of Eden kind of on one side, but then the barren wilderness of the sin and the shame they were now carrying as the clothes were upon them and they were, and they were, they were left and they were cast out from the harmony of God's presence ongoing basis. It was, it, was, it was pretty vivid for myself and my girls. I remember I had that moment of like, whoa, sin is serious interrupts the present, grieves the spirit of God. But notice, from the very moment that Genesis 3 happened, listen to this, God sets his plan in motion to restore his people to himself in his presence. See, the whole of scripture is really telling that story of redemption and restoration. So this is why then he leads his people through the wilderness. They first build the tabernacle. The tabernacle was to contain the Shekinah glory of God and the holies of holies. The tabernacle was then turned to the temple, 1 Kings 6. Solomon builds the temple, again, to see the presence of God known among God's people within that one place, again, where the chief priest once a year would go and make atonement for the sins of God's people, but where the glory and the presence of God. Now listen. That is all there, but points ultimately to the perfection or fulfillment of the temple of God's presence, Jesus. When Jesus walks up and shows up on the scene and is born by Virgin Mary, Jesus now, he is God. Fully man, fully God. He is the perfection of God's presence. So in John 1.14, it says, and the word of God, Jesus, and the word of God has dwelt among us has become a dwelt among, dwelt in here is tabernacled among us. Totally picking up on this theology here. Also in John chapter two, Jesus walks by with his disciples. He looks at the temple and he says, you can destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up again. And the, and the, and the, and the religious leaders get wind of this and they're furious. What do you mean? It took us decades to build this and you say you would build it? But then the text says, they did not realize that Jesus referred to his temple, which was his body. Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven, but does not leave us on our own. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And now the presence of God, starting from the Garden of Eden, now the presence of God now dwells in all genuine believers in Jesus Christ. First Corinthians says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Okay? And the book of Revelation says when we get, to, we get to the end and we're in new heavens and new earth and the new city of Jerusalem and all that happens, the temple is not needed because we are there in the perfection of God and his glory and his son, Jesus Christ. And there's no need for son because then we are perfectly fulfilled in all that we desire to live for. All that to say, when Jesus walks into his temple, man, there's a lot going on. When Jesus walks into his temple, he is passionate about his house. And ultimately for us, his house is us. His house is this. And he's serious about his house. To be a house, listen, a house of prayer. That's his passion and purpose, and that must be our passion and purpose as well. So, by following in the example of Jesus, how do we become a house of prayer? That's the question we're asking and answering we have three answers to that question today by God's word. How do we become a house of prayer? The first answer to that question is this. Number one, Jesus must clean house. 
if you want to become, if I want to become a house of prayer, he must clean house. Jesus must clean house. Look at verse 15. They came to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple and began to clean house, to drive out those who sold, those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables and the seats of those who sold pigeons and would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. What is Jesus doing here? Why does he take such drastic action? Okay, learn, listen, don't miss this. The reason Jesus takes such drastic action is because he is attacking the heart of hypocrisy. If you want to incite the righteous anger of Jesus, then do one thing, say one thing as a religious shell, especially in his name, but then live a whole nother way and live a double life. And even do it at the, at the benefit of yourself to bring reproach on his name. You do that, you will incite the righteous anger of Jesus. This is what he's so grieved by. His house has become a sham. It's a spiritual fraud. It's extortion. That's what's going on in the temple when Jesus walks in. The temple was set apart for God's glory. It had been turned into a lucrative business and filled with scandal. So what would happen is the religious leaders are in the temple and they're selling items for worship. But they're, they're, they're literally, it's just a form of extortion over the people coming in. For example, let's put it in our terms and our kind of monetary values. Let's say a pigeon mentioned here or a dove. Outside the temple, you could buy a pigeon, let's say, for four bucks. Inside the temple, they were selling it for 75. It's extortion. It's robbery. Kind of reminds me of my last trip to Starbucks. I, I, I went to Starbucks, man, and I was like, I got like a good juice, and it was like small. And I went up, and thank you, sir, that'll be $7. I'm, I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? And no, no I, I didn't want a case of juice. I just wanted one. And it's like, again, the size of a shot glass or something, right? I know, sir, that'll be $7. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, it's amazing in our day. Sometimes you feel like there's extortion all over the place, man. You go around and you say, where are these prices going? And this is ridiculous. No emails about Starbucks, okay? Don't, don't send me any emails about Starbucks. Not trying to unnecessarily offend you, all that kind of stuff, whatever. I'm officially off topic. Let's sit back on topic now. Here we go. As Jesus walked into the temple, the things he would have seen, extortion in currency exchange, a false sense of worship, livestock, animals everywhere, huge lines preparing for the Passover, huge commotion, noise, traffic, total chaos. Anything but a house of prayer. One commentator said that the court of the Gentiles, which is the part of the temple this was taking place in, the court of the Gentiles was a huge religious circus. No, no, watch what Jesus does here. The verbs in verse 15 and 16, Jesus enters, he drives out, he overturns tables and seats, and does not allow anyone to carry anything. You know the phrase? He came, he saw, he conquered. That's our Savior in this text. This is meek and mild, gentle Jesus. Not this time. He's, remember, I mean, have you seen tables overturned before? That's a pretty violent act. Like, if you're in a room and someone overthrows a table, like, that sets the whole, whoa, 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 what's going on over there, man? That's a massive disturbance. That's what our Savior's doing. He walks into his house and he starts turning, flipping over tables, sending seats flying driving people out who are buying and selling. Amazing. You know, Jesus in this text, he is four days away from his death and he walks into his house. He sees, he hears, and what he smells grieves his spirit. 
And this is where he decides to take action. Listen, in our text here today, this is where the, the Lamb of God becomes the Lion of Judah. This is where the lion starts to roar. And I want you, I want you to hear his roar. His roar is, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's the one message he wants to send in the midst of what's happening. And this whole scene reminded me of a text message one of my pastor friends sent me a number of months ago. It says this, if anyone ever asks you, what would Jesus do? Remind him that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. Again, remember, like, so often we characterize Jesus as just like, just gentle, meek, mild. Like, yes, yes, he is all those things, yes, but he's also this. And by the way, you think, what's the whips from? The whips, that happened in John chapter two. For sure, there were two temple clearings in Jesus' ministry. One that began his ministry, this one, the one that ends. Isn't that interesting? The book ends of Jesus' ministry. He goes in, cleans house in both cases and says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He is so serious about his house being intended for its use and where it should be. He's so serious about you and I doing the same. Notice this also, loved ones. What is Jesus doing? This is such an important point. What is Jesus doing when he moves into the temple and overturns tables? He's doing this, ready? He's purging sin. That's his concern. Why is he purging sin? He's purging sin to pave the way for prayer. Look at how serious Jesus is about sin. Why? Because sin, without a doubt, sin is the greatest hindrance to our prayer lives. Is there a greater hindrance to prayer in our lives than sin cherished in our hearts? Sin is the blocker of our fellowship with God. Sin is the demolisher of our peace from God. Sin is the promoter of darkness over our lives. Sin is the enemy of purity. It's the catalyst for hypocrisy. It's the destroyer of intimacy and prayer to God. Sin blinds us. Sin deceives us. Sin destroys us, if not disables us. Think about this. Could it be then, listen, listen, listen. Could it be then that the reason our prayer lives are so weak is because our love for sin is so strong? I just want us to think about that for a second, man, because I, I think there's a lot to that. You know, we go around and we see the lives of prayers within believers and then it's just, it's just so paltry. All the stats say that. Why? At the end of the day, is it because our prayer lives are so weak because our love for sin, our love for other things is so strong? It reminds me of a quote here from John Piper I've used before, but it's so perfect for right now. He said this, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Wait, 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 Robbie, are you, are, you, are you telling me that like Facebook, Twitter, and I don't even know what half of these even mean, by the way, but I know some of them. Facebook and Twitter are then sinful? Mm, mm, can be. Not in themselves, but if Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever, if these things are making your house of prayer become a house of chaos and a house of confusion, and a house of temporal obsession, and a house of just wasting time hour by hour, then yes, absolutely, it is sinful. It is a tool that has been used 
to ruin the house of prayer and turn it into a house of whatever, impurity and chaos. So yes, these things absolutely can be used to create sinful patterns and tendencies that are ruining our relationship with God. And Jesus comes in and says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, not a house of social media and sanity. That's what he's saying. I want you to see something else too. I want you to look at Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Just a few verses back. This is the day before Jesus enters into the temple in our passage. Notice what happens. Mark 11, verse 11. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, watch this, and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, isn't that interesting? It's almost like a recon mission here. And it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. Jesus goes in. He surveys the situation. The next time he enters, cleans house. You're listening to Live in the Light with Robbie Simons. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. I'm Craig Turnbull, and on behalf of Robbie Simons, we invite you to join us again next time on Live in the Light.